Good morning, thank you so much for joining us this Sunday. We are in the middle of our summer series, Summer Mixtape, and let's see what Pastor John has next on the playlist. Last week we had a good time celebrating Father's Day with you guys, and we hope you are enjoying those air fresheners with that new car scent. Our next announcement is Kids Camp, and we know you're hearing a lot about Kids Camp from us, but that's because it's coming up really quick. If you're planning on your kids attending July 10th through the 13th, go ahead and sign up, and while you're there, feel free to sign up to volunteer as well. We need your help to pull this off, and we are gonna have a blast doing it. So sign your kids up or sign up to volunteer. Our prodigal youth have a lot of fun things coming up on the calendar this summer. They're gonna be going mini golfing, bowling, lake days, and such. Head to our app, Check out the church calendar. There you'll see what the prodigal youth will be up to. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Summer Mixtape. The song there that is a 90s song uh, I'm a 90s kid and there were a few styles a few trends that were really big throughout my teenage years in the 1990s but the first was the oversized grunge band t-shirt for me I was in the grunge scene I had long hair it was parted down the middle kind of shaved on the sides and the bigger the shirt the better and then sometimes you would layer it with like a plaid long sleeve shirt with it and it just rocked, okay, pun intended. 30 years later, what do you know, they're back in style. Second trend, uh, Doc Martens. These enormous black boots with the yellow stitching on the bottom side made you two inches taller. By the way, the correct brand name is actually Dr. Martens, but you had to call them Doc Martens. Dr. Martins is what your parents would call them. Uh, Sarah and I were at a mall in Southern California just a couple of weeks ago, and we saw a Doc Martins store. 30 years later, they're back in style. Doc Martins wasn't the only epic shoe trend of the 1990s. How many of you had Birkenstocks? Okay, back in the day, you had to wear these Birkenstocks with ankle socks. None of those, those tube socks, that was for the previous decade. That was for the 80s. I never owned a pair of Birkenstocks, but my sister did, because she paid for them with her own money. I never did. It was a cool style, and 30 years later, guess what? You see the trend. They're back in style. Last trend. Remember No Fear t-shirts? They were everywhere in the 1990s. Oh, and I became a Christian in 1995. And I went to a dramatic painting night with special guest Rick Alonzo, where he painted an amazing portrait of Jesus under black light. And that night, at the youth group outreach, I bought a No Fear shirt. But it was different. It was different than what all the cool kids at school were wearing. I had a No Fear Jesus Is Here t-shirt. I wore that No Fear t-shirt every day. And guess what? 30 years later, I'm just kidding, okay? they're not back in style at all, especially the no fear Jesus is here shirt. But that phrase, that truth, no fear, Jesus is here. Let's bring that back. That is our theme this morning for Summer Mixtape. And I hope it becomes a theme for your heart in this season. No fear, Jesus is here. 
First John chapter four, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Fear, false events appearing real. That's fear, false events appearing real. So what do we do about it? Okay, here is another acronym, fear. Face your fears with faith. E, examine your assumptions in light of facts. A, attack your anxieties with action. And R, release your cares to God. We're going to unpack that. Okay, examine your assumptions in light of the facts. There was this movie that came out in 1975 that changed everyone's opinion about swimming in the ocean. You know what movie it was? Yeah, it was Jaws. I think my dad took my mom to see it on their very first date. Now, I am 42 years old and I have lived in California since 1989. I've never seen my mom even near the ocean. She rarely swims in pools. I'm convinced it's because of this movie. If you have seen this movie, the scariest part isn't even the shark. It's the music. Uh, it's terrifying. A few summers ago, uh, we showed Dex and Ivy a video about a surfer who was attacked by a shark, but she survived and is now an inspiration to millions. It was a bad parenting decision. My daughter still has nightmares about sharks. She has a fear. The truth is, great white shark attacks rarely happen. On average, it's less than one per year. You are statistically more likely to be a practicing nudist than attacked by a shark. Okay, and this stat is from the American Association of Nude Recreation website. The odds are one out of 6,000 that you are a practicing nudist right now. Uh, the odds are one out of 230, okay, 0.43% that you are legally blind and you're listening to this, not watching it. And then the odds are one out of a hundred, okay, one percent that you are currently drunk right now. The things we fear when we examine our assumptions in light of facts, we most often discover that they have no power. Okay, fear of sharks, that might be a struggle for some of us, but most likely it's not you. But let's get real. Another common fear, the fear of rejection. Have, how many of you have ever had a rejection in your life, a significant rejection? You were rejected and it affected you. Uh, it, it changed how, how you respond. Uh, how many of you have had that happen maybe more than once in your life? Three times? Five times? A serious rejection. On average, psychologists say that most people will have those moments five to seven times in your lifetime. Now, new question. How many of you have interacted with 10 people and you weren't rejected? Maybe they're fine with you or they don't care either way. How many of you have interacted with 10 people and it went just fine? A hundred people, a thousand people. Yeah, I know and I've interacted with thousands of people and I did not experience a deep and painful rejection from them. So. Just based on statistics, the five people that we have experienced deep rejection from over here and the thousands of people 
that we have, that have not rejected us over here, we see that these rejections are extremely rare. You are not the weirdo. Those five people are. And we have given those five people the power to hurt us, to affect us, to affect how we live. And we live in this fear of rejection for most of our lives. And it's, it's rare. We fear it, but it rarely happens. Let's get even more real here. You ready? ISIS is an Islamic terrorist organization. They in no way represent the faith of Muslims worldwide. But there is a perception that many have in America that the primary focus of ISIS is killing Americans and Europeans. Yet, statistics tell us that less than 2% of the people killed by ISIS have been European or American. While more than 95% of their victims have been Muslims living in Islamic countries. And here's why this matters. Fear so easily turns to hate. It's hard to love people when you hate them. It's hard to love them when you fear them. And looking at the facts and the statistics can help us to address some of our fears about people of a different faith. Do some Muslims commit grievous acts? Of course, as do some Christians. But with 1.5 billion Muslims in the world, it's worth asking how many people have been killed by Islamic terror on U.S. soil since 9-11? And the answer, according to Adam Hamilton in his book, Unafraid, is 94. You are statistically 120 times more likely to be struck by lightning each year in the United States than to be killed by an Islamic terrorist. You are 2,000 times more likely to be murdered by an American who is not an Islamic terrorist. And you are 7,000 times more likely to die in a car accident. Fear. False events appearing real. It leads to hate. Yet John tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. As Dr. King famously noted, hate will never defeat hate. Only love is capable of doing that. The perfect love that casts out all fear. This is the love of neighbor and love of enemy that Jesus demands of us as his followers. Sadly, we can count on more acts of terrorism in the years ahead. Those who would use violence to further their agenda will not stop, and our intelligence and law enforcement agencies will need to remain vigilant and constantly devise new methods of fending off such attacks. And it is likely that at some point we will fail to prevent an assault. But the greater failure would be the loss of our courage, our compassion, our willingness to welcome the stranger in distress, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we play to our fears. And it's not just the politicians who play to our fears. Dr. Shana Gadarian, who teaches political science at Syracuse University and is the co-author of Anxious Politics, Democratic Citizenship in a Threatening World, found that when people are anxious, they tend to seek out information from sources 
that actually reinforce their anxiety. We can see footage from the latest terror attacks over and over and over again on 24 News Cycle. We don't tend to look for sources that say that the chances of that happening in our community are 1 in 3.6 billion. If you Google the word fear, you'll find over 2.3 billion websites in a half a second. One author wrote this about fear. All of us are born with a set of instinctive fears. The fear of falling, the fear of the dark, the fear of spiders, and the fear of falling on spiders in the dark. That's terrifying. Ivan Pavlov, the brilliant Russian scientist, whose name you probably recognize, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1904 with his work on dog saliva. Pavlov knew why dogs salivated when presented with food. It's, it's a biological response necessary for the dog's digestion. But in the course of conducting his experiment, Pavlov noticed that his canine subjects began to salivate when the people who fed them walked into the room, even if they brought no food. Pavlov then began to ring a bell when food was presented. And after doing this for some time, he then rang the bell without presenting food, and the dogs salivated anyway. The dogs had come to associate an unrelated sensation, the sound of a bell, with the presentation of food. Now, the idea is universally understood today, but in 1904, it was a really big insight. It even found its way into the great sitcom, The Office where Jim would restart his computer and offer Dwight an Altoid. Now, the importance of this insight was more than just dog spit. His discovery showed us how our brains come to associate a neutral stimuli with something that's unrelated. It goes for all five senses, sounds, smells, sights, tastes, touches, all other experiences but we can find good news here in this discovery of over 120 years ago. We can, as Pavlov's dogs can show us, unlearn. You see, once the dog made the connection between ringing the bell and food, Pavlov found that if he consistently rang the bell and presented no food to the dog, over time, the dog would stop salivating on cue. Psychologists call this fading of the link between the bell and salivating extinction. Now, extinction is usually a negative term associated with the end of a various animal or plant species on the planet. But when applied to eliminating worry, fear, anxiety, based on old or inaccurate data in our lives, extinction holds out the promise that we can move on. How many of us want our fears and anxieties to go extinct? You can unlearn your fear. And in unlearning fear, we can find freedom. And to do so, we decide here and now to go forward in faith, not backwards in fear. When fear begins to control us, it's often because we have catastrophized our current situation. In other words, we're seeing things worse than they really are. And we're assuming that they'll never get better. Which, if you think about it, it's kind of a, a faith in reverse. Of all the possible outcomes, without knowing all the facts, you're choosing to hold on to the unwanted ones and to believe the worst instead of the best. 
I do this too. And I found that as long as people are paralyzed and have no plan, the problems seem to get bigger and anxieties grow. Fear is false events appearing real. We spend all this time and energy about these false events, things that are never going to happen. Instead, we should face our fears with faith, examine our assumptions in light of the facts, attack our anxieties with action, release our cares to God. We've all got fears. I couldn't believe that fear and procrastination are, are married together. A lot of fear is actually hidden in procrastination. It, it may look like this. I don't really want to talk to this person or confront this person, so I'll put it off. I won't talk to them about it. Maybe they'll forget or the problem will just disappear. Or, is this true for you? Or am, I'm so scared of what this bill's going to be that you don't even want to look at it, so you put it off to later. There's an amazing fable about uh, an old man who every day sat in his rocking chair with his granddaughter outside a gas station, greeting tourists who passed through his town. One day, a man who seemed to be looking for a new place to live asked, what sort of town is this? And the old man said, well, what kind of town do you come from? The tourist says, everyone criticizes everyone. It's really bad. That's just the way it is here, said the old man. A few days later, another man asked, so what sort of town is this? The old man replies, well, what sort of town do you come from? The tour said, it's great. Everyone gets along so well. That's just the way it is here, said the old man. Now, after the man left, the granddaughter asked, how come you told the first guy that this was a bad place to live and the second guy that this is a great place to live? And the grandpa said, because wherever you go, you take your attitude with you. And that's what makes it good or bad. You can harness the power of your imagination to conjure up a future in which you are alone and unloved and fear rules. Or you can use that same power to imagine the truth of the scriptures that say that there is a God who knows you, who loves you, who's always by your side. That no fear Jesus is here. That you are loved with a love that's not going to let you go. Imagine that. I used to think it was helpful to think of the worst case scenarios. And then since it probably wouldn't happen, I would have the strength to kind of face the day. So it'd play out in my head like worst possible scenario you could have. Your favorite football team loses to the Raiders. You brush your teeth with cortisone cream. You burn your toast. Your twin brother forgets your birthday. Your wife wakes up and says, good morning, Bill, but your name is John. This exercise never helped me. It made me suspicious of people and on edge all day, which is probably why I abandoned it, okay? More anxieties arose. But worry is something that plagues us all. What do we do about it? Sometimes we just need to take our focus off of ourselves, my problems, my issues, my worries, my fears. And the last 
Attack your anxieties with action. Check out this verse. And this got to free some of us. 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In Greek, this is one sentence. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, comma, See, what happens next is predicated on whether or not we humble ourselves, casting our anxieties on him because he cares for you. This has been so true in my life. I'm trying to cast my anxieties and keep my pride. But the thing we need to know is our pride and our anxiety come in the same package. So if you insist on doing it your way, then expect to feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders because it is. You you can't just do verse seven without verse six. I'm casting my worries on you. I'm casting them. You told me to. I'm worried. I'm scared. I'm casting them. Take them away, Father. There is a connection, a link between our worries and our fears being cast to Jesus and whether or not we have in humility humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Just look at the word anxiety. Look at how it's spelled. Look at what is at the center of this word. I. The center of anxiety is I. At the center of anxiety is our pride. The reason you might be so fearful, so worried, so anxious is because you've got you at the center and you can't sustain it because it's not your throne. Just listen to your prayers. Oh Lord, I don't know if I have what it takes. Uh, This problem, this situation is really affecting me. I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. What more can I do? I, 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 I. You can't spell anxiety without I in the middle. And you know what else has I in the middle? Pride. It's not a command to cast your anxieties on God. It is a result. The command is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And the result is your anxiety goes with your pride. If we would get ourselves out of the center and humble ourselves and put Jesus on the throne of our lives, anxiety and fear and pride and worry and dread and narcissism and selfishness and sin, they fall by the wayside. When we are Christ-centered, not me-centered. When we humbly declare that Jesus, I can't live without you. I can't breathe without you. I can't pray without you. I can't parent without you. I can't forgive without you. I can't love without you. It's not about what I can do in my own strength. I want to live my life under the mighty hand of God. In fear and anxiety and worry, go by. Bye, Felicia. Peace out. Be gone. When we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, Fear leaves, and it is a result, not a com- the command, is go before Jesus. 
humble your life before Jesus. I pray that that would be our posture right now. You who are listening to this in Germany, Brazil, the Philippines, that you would humble yourselves before God and that the result of doing that, of living your life for Jesus, of being honest before Him, is that whatever you're worried about, whatever you are concerned about, whatever you have a fear over, whatever has been paralyzing to you, fades in Jesus' name. That when we get ourselves out of the center and we put Jesus in the center, life changes. We experience the freedom that's promised in Him. Life abundant. Jesus, I pray this be true for everyone who's listening now. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. We're so grateful for all of our online audience. We have weekly listeners from Germany and Brazil and the Philippines and Iowa and Texas and uh, all over the world. And we're just so grateful. We're so grateful for you. You are a part of us. And I pray that God continues to use this podcast um, or this YouTube site or this video online to bless you and to draw you into Jesus' likeness. That you might go and love God and love others. Thanks so much for joining us at Providence Church Fresno. We pray God's peace and blessings wherever you are in the world. Grace and peace.